What health is to the heart physically, holiness is to the soul spiritually. Let that sink in. What health is to the heart physically, holiness is to the soul spiritually. He was a sociologist. He studied people and culture. His last name was Otto, and he wanted to learn more about holiness and how it is expressed in various religions and in various cultures. So Professor Otto went throughout the world thinking, examining Various people, various cultures, and what holiness meant in those cultures. And then he looked at all the data, and one of the things that he came up with that I think is striking and ever so biblical is that a concept of holiness, wherever he went, involved awe, A-W-E, That God is not like us. And that there was always a sense of humility and of creatureliness. Creatureliness. And awe of God. What health is to the heart physically... Holiness is to the soul spiritually. And in a world that's all into status symbols, big houses, big rings, big bling, big cars, fancy cars, a person who knows the smile and approval of God by seeking to be holy doesn't need any other status symbol. Who is like you, glorious in holiness? Exodus 15 and verse 11. There is none as holy as the Lord, 1 Samuel 2 and verse 2. Holy and reverend is His name, Psalm 111 and verse 9. Holy is He, Psalm 99, verse 3, verse 5. He alone is holy, Revelation 15, verses 3 and 4. Of all the qualities of God, of all the things that make God, God, holiness is the only attribute or quality that is three-peated. And once in the Old Testament, holy, 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 Isaiah 6-3. Once in the New Testament, Revelation 4 and verse 8. And when you talk about God and all of His attributes, all the things that make Him God... Quite possibly the most emphasized quality of God throughout Scripture is His holiness. And He wants us to be holy too. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says perfecting holiness, perfecting holiness in the sight of God. To pursue holiness without which no man will see God. Hebrews 12 and 14. Sometimes I read passages like that and I think about how holy God must be 
and that He wants us to be holy too. Aren't you glad that we don't have to depend solely on ourselves to be holy? What I want to do is share with you five experiences of people in Scripture of God's holiness. It'll be fun. It'll be really interesting. Because you see, when people really get hold of God's holiness, when they grasp something of God's great holiness, they are not going to be the same again. There's going to be a transformation, a change, a metamorphosis that occurs. And what a beautiful thing it is. Because you see, holy is a word that nowadays is kind of used in a derogatory way. You're so holier than thou. That's really not meant as a compliment, is it? Or it's used as slang. Holy smokes. Holy Toledo. Holy cow. It is a shame that the world has taken such an important and great biblical concept and misunderstood it and relegated it to the area of slang. God is holy. He seeks for us to be holy too. And let's look at the experiences of these individuals and how God's holiness changed their lives. Okay? Because there will be so much for us to learn. And keep in mind that what health is to the heart physically, holiness is to the soul spiritually. Easy to follow. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Moses. We are going to look at two occasions in the life of Moses where he was blessed to see something with the holiness of God. In Exodus chapter 3, notice verses 1 through 6. In Exodus 3, 1 through 6, you have Moses being called by God. It's a familiar scene, the scene of the burning bush. When Moses saw the bush burning with fire and yet it was not consumed. Now stop for a second because I want to stop here and rewind. I want you to get a good idea of what holiness is, okay? So that you know what holiness means. Let me stop and put together three expressions for you. And you'll see one of them very well in this incident. Separation, separation, and purity. What is holiness? It's about separation and purity. When we talk about God's holiness, 
He's sure different from us in a lot of ways, even though He made us in His image. Separation and purity. The second expression. Moral and perfect. Moral and perfect. Separate and pure. Moral and perfect. And this would go really well with what we were singing about. The third expression, bright and beautiful. When we talk about holiness, it has to do with brightness and brilliance and beautiful. And so when we sing, you really are beautiful beyond description, one of the things we're talking about is, God, you're so beautiful, you're so holy, you're so awesome. Separate and pure. Got it? Moral and perfect. Bright and beautiful. Now, if that's what holiness is all about, we dare not speak of holiness in a derogatory way, and we shouldn't think of it just as a slang expression either. Moses, when he sees this burning bush, this bush on fire... Bright, he is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. 1 John 1, 5, holy. When Moses sees this burning bush that's not consumed, it doesn't burn up, it just continues burning. God speaks, and he says, Moses, take off your shoes, take off your sandals, because the ground upon which you tread is what? Holy. To grasp something of God's holiness will affect our feet. Will impact our feet. What do you mean? When you grasp God's holiness, your walk will be transformed. Walk worthy of the calling of Wherewith you have been called. Ephesians 4.1 Walk in love. Ephesians 5 and verse 2 Walk in the light as He is in the light. 1 John 1 verses 6 through 10 The idea is when we really grasp something of God's holiness, much like Moses, our feet will be affected. Our walk. And this man would walk with God to Egypt, to freedom, to the wilderness, and to the edge of the promised land. And thank God if we want to walk in holiness, because we too have grasped something of God's great holiness, we can walk to heaven and walk with our Lord forever. Go to Exodus 33, however. Because in Exodus 33, verses 17 through 23, Moses has yet another experience of seeing something about God and His holiness. 
And in Exodus 33, 18, there's a well-known verse that says, Show me your glory. Moses wants to see something of the beauty and brilliance of God, of His purity, His moral perfection. And God says, as that chapter concludes there in verses 17 through 23, He says, no one can look at my face and live because what is unholy cannot behold what is pristine holiness and not be consumed, not be devoured. But think of the answer of God and how gracious He is. Moses, you want to see something of me? I understand your desire. I know that your desire is noble and good. You just want to see what I'm like more. You stay near a rock. And I will place my hand where you will not see all of my glory. But I will allow you to see something of my passing. As I pass by, you won't see my face, but you'll see something of my back and the glory. The idea of being unworthy, the idea of being a creature... And now we're not talking about just any old person here. We're talking about Moses, God's prophet. We're talking about the lawgiver of the Old Testament. We're talking about one who would say that there will come one like unto me, the prophet Moses, whom you will hear. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18, speaking of Jesus prophetically. He is as good a man as you will find. He's called the meekest man in all the earth. Numbers 12. Now turn to Exodus 34. And look at Exodus chapter 34. After something of God's glory is displayed and seen by Moses. He comes down from the mountain, and how is he different? Verses 28 through 33 of chapter 34, his face shines, grasping something of God's greatness, of God's holiness, ought to make an impact, Adam, on our faces. We won't have our nose stuck up in the air in pride. We won't always appear as if we're stressed out and our nerves are racked. God's great holiness will make a difference on our facial features. Not so much that ours is a glow in a miraculous sense of having been in the presence of God like Moses was. But how can you see how great and awesome God is and how that is a God who wants to have a relationship with you and with me and that not put a smile on your face and joy in your heart? 
That's just one person's encounter with God's holiness. Turn to Job. Turn to Job chapter 42. Now you will recall from reading the opening chapters of Job, we'll be looking at Job 42 verses 5 and 6. But you'll recall from the first two chapters of the book of Job that when we're talking about Job, you're not going to find a finer fella, Steve Taylor, than Job was. He loved his Lord. He loved his family. He was concerned about their relationship with God too. And he was the greatest man perhaps in the world as far as God would judge things. And the Lord had blessed him greatly. But when you think about Job, you think about how you respond to God in times of pain and suffering and when your world seems to fall apart. Job didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. He didn't know that the devil had said, you just let me have him for a while, God, because he will curse you and die. He knew none of that. And after a while, being beaten down and berated, blasted by Satan. Even a good man like Job starts to wonder a little bit, especially when he has friends telling him things that just aren't true, that don't fit. And toward the end of the book of Job, God stops Job and he says, and we'll put it in good West Texas terminology, you wait just to cotton pick a minute, you are a good man, but I'm going to give you a test and we'll see how you do on the test. Where were you when I created everything? Where were you? And question after question is asked by God in chapters 38 to about 42. And Job fails and he is reminded of his creatureliness. And he's reminded of how awesome God is and how questioning Him really shouldn't have been in the equation. But he was going through so much pain and grief and hurt. Maybe we can see some of that in our own lives. And look at Job 42, verses 5 and 6, and his experience of the holy. I have heard of you and your revelation before, but now my eyes have seen you. Seeing something of God's holiness will impact our vision. How we see things in life. How we view the past. How we view the present. How we think about the future. I'd heard what I heard was true. But now I've seen more. 
my eyes, my vision will be affected when I see the holiness of God. No wonder it was said elsewhere in Job, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Job 31 and verse 1. My eyes. Job, in a manner of speaking, could see, could say, My eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. In great heartache and tribulation, he could still see God's holiness. Go to the book of Isaiah. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Here's a third illustration, a third example of someone who has a a life-changing experience in seeing something of God's holiness. Isaiah 6 verses 1 through 9. Isaiah is the prophet of God. He's willing to speak out against sin. He is the prophet of history. 66 chapters in Isaiah, just as there are 66 books in our Bible. And Isaiah's story is his story that God works in life. God works in the kingdoms of men. And in the year that King Uzziah died, he has a vision, Isaiah does. And it is of the great holiness of God. Keep in mind what that means. His separate nature from what is sin and his complete devotion to what is pure. His morality his perfection, his beauty, his brilliant brightness. Isaiah's a good man. He speaks up for God as his prophet. And he says when he sees this vision of God who is holy, holy, holy. He says, woe is me. I'm a man undone. I'm unraveled. I'm unglued. I am in pieces. Because I am a man of unclean lips in the midst of an unclean people. Kyle, seeing something about the holiness of God will transform our speech. Sometimes we ought to ask ourselves, is it holy? Is it gracious? Is it loving speech? For by your words you will be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. Matthew 12, 34 through 39. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but such as is useful to building up, that it might minister grace to the hearers. Ephesians 4 and verse 29. Seeing something of God's holiness will transform one's speech. And while Isaiah's speech already would seem to be very good in many ways, what does he say? I am a man of unclean lips. If any sin not in tongue, the same is what? A perfect man. 
James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. All right. Go to Acts chapter 9. Example number 4. Acts chapter 9 has to do with the conversion of Saul, of the one we would come to know as Paul, the apostle, how he came to Jesus. And in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, what Saul is doing, my friends, is this. He is heading on the Damascus road to persecute Christians. He really believes that these people are in the wrong and if he is going to serve the holy God that he knows, he needs to do something about this group of people. And the Lord appears to him in a vision. Who are you, Lord? What will you have me to do? The brightness of the light. This beautiful epiphany, this vision, is blinding. It leaves Paul unable to see. And it leaves Paul with no appetite. Notice verse 9. For three days he does not eat or drink. There comes a time in life when there's some things more important to us than food and drink. What had happened on that road as he encountered something of the holiness of God his perception changed. His perception changed. That's important. And his appetite changed. Before, his appetite was for persecuting the church, Acts 8, 1 through 4. Persecuting Jesus, Acts 9. But now he's seen something that, of God and that Jesus is God and that he's holy and it's a whole different thing. It changes his perception of everything. Now take a second and turn to 1 Timothy 1 and look at verses 13 and following. Because in this passage, Paul says some things. In verse 13... It says that he was a blasphemer. He had spoken against God and the way of God. That's stout. That's strong. He says also, not only was I a blasphemer. What else? It says I was an insolent opponent. An insolent opponent. It says, I 
arrogantly opposed and stood against God and His way. I persecuted the church with great fervor. One thing about Paul, before he came to Jesus and after too, he was all or nothing, all against the church and the, of the Lord, and then he's all for the church of the Lord. But with great zeal, he opposed. Now he has a different perception of things. You know why? Keep reading. It says in verse 14, but the grace of God overflowed toward me. In kindness and love in Christ Jesus. And he says, I obtained mercy. And what I did before, I did ignorantly and in unbelief. His perception has changed. And his appetite has changed too. No longer is it to hurt God and the people of God. Now it is to proclaim God and to build up and strengthen the body of Christ. Turn to Revelation 1. Isn't there a lot we can learn? If we really believe in the holiness of God, it can transform us too. It can transform our feet, our walk. It can transform our face, our look, and how we express God and the things of God to the world. It can affect our lips like Isaiah, our eyes like Job. It can affect our appetite and our perception of things like Paul. Now look at Revelation 1, 12 through 18 and John. It's been years since John has seen Jesus. And the last time he saw Jesus, he saw Jesus ascending into heaven. But now, as he's an old man, John is well into his 80s, perhaps his 90s. He is given a vision of the victorious and exalted Christ. And when you look at verses 12 and following, one great accolade after another is given describing the glory and the holiness of Jesus. And what John says is, when I beheld Him, I fell down as one dead. And Jesus placed His right hand on me. And said, fear not. He's awestruck. John is awestruck. And I just fall down as if I'm dead, he says, at his feet. He's seen the holiness of God. And you know what? Grasping something of God's holiness will change our posture. It'll change our posture. We gather to worship and sometimes we bow our heads and close our eyes. But really do we think about the holy God before whom 
we are speaking. We stand and sing. But I'll tell you what. The holiness of God ought to make our posture be that of praise and worship and glory to Him. Whatever the bodily posture, the posture of my heart and the posture of my soul is bowed down before Him. And yours should be as well. The holiness of God will change our posture. What health is to the heart physically, holiness is to the soul spiritually. When we grasp God's holiness, we don't view ourselves the same way anymore. We don't compare ourselves to others. We compare ourselves to Him and we see our humility and creatureliness and His awesomeness. When we think about His holiness, we understand better the infinite cost of sin and what the cross entails, what it involves. He died to make us holy. And we weren't. Nor could we ever be without Him. Nor will we be in any way without relying on Him. He died make us holy and because he is holy we will praise and worship him and we will do so now and we will do so with an eye forward to glory where the saved of all the ages and the heavenly beings will all be together to praise his name won't that be glorious and awesome He is worthy. But God's holiness and grasping something about it will make all of us seek to love Him more and to be like Him. I cringe and shudder when I think of how unlike Him I am. But I want to be more like Him, don't you? Do not leave this building. Do not leave this building not dedicated to God and pure. Don't leave this building without being declared right by the epitome of morality, God, by not having your sins washed away and cleansed so you are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Do not leave this building without saying, I have seen something of the brightness and beauty of our God, and how can I not be attracted to Him? That will change us. Let us stand and sing.